0: The theme of vocation can be seen in our readings this morning. We see the incredible character of Moses, and in this 18th chapter, we're seeing one of his last discourses to the people of Israel. And he tells them, a prophet like me will the Lord your God raise up from you from among your own kin. In order to understand what this prophet might be, it's important for us to look first at the life of Moses. Moses, in order for his life to be preserved, had been hidden among the reeds of the Nile River. His very name indicates one drawn out of the water. So his life was preserved and protected from an early age. He, was, he grew up in Pharaoh's household, having been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, privileged, after having killed an Egyptian trying to protect a fellow Israelite or break up a dispute, he flees and he encounters God on the mountain in this strange encounter where there's a burning bush that is not consumed. We're aware of all the miracles or the the curses that are brought down upon Egypt as a result of Pharaoh's unwillingness to let the people go and worship God in the desert, and how God leads them out mightily and preserves them, provides for them with food and water. It's said of Moses that he spoke to God as a friend of face to face. At the end of the book of Deuteronomy, it says that, going back to that passage we heard, a prophet like me will the Lord your God raise up to you. It says that must be some commentator or later a person adding an addendum to the book here of Deuteronomy. And to this day, no prophet has yet arisen like Moses. That's the gist of it. Jesus we saw then in today's gospel, is beginning to reveal himself as the new Moses. The one who is the prophet who is not only like Moses, but goes beyond him. Again, we heard in the first reading that, speaking of this new Moses that would come, whoever will not listen to my words which he speaks in my name, I myself will make him answer for it. Jesus sees himself as the new Moses. He enters not the Nile River, but the Jordan River, representing how all of the people had crossed into the Promised Land, except Moses. Why hadn't Moses been able to enter in? He was 120 when he died, and yet scripture tells us his eyes were not dimmed and his strength had not abated him because even though he was a friend of God who could speak to him face to face, he had in some way disobeyed the Lord. And we see in Scripture that it's from where he had struck the rock, but not done it in the way that God had asked him to. He had done it out of anger rather than out of showing God's power to the people. And so he's prevented from going into the promised land. Jesus goes to the Jordan like Joshua and crosses through it in his baptism to show that he is going to lead the new Israel into the true promised land. Jesus begins his mission preaching in the synagogues. The people, it says, are astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes would comment on scripture. They would say, this is the tradition, or this is how it should be interpreted. But Jesus speaks out of the first person. We hear him in Scripture saying, you have heard it said of old, but I tell you. The scribes and the priests, they say this, but I say to you. And even in his confronting evil, Jesus doesn't call on a power higher than himself. He doesn't say... By Yahweh Most High, be gone, get out of this man. But he commands the evil spirit directly, Quiet! come out of him. Jesus' vocation far surpasses Moses. Moses, the friend of God. There was a certain nostalgia amongst the Israelites, rightly so, for the character and the call of Moses. And longing also for that new Moses' who would lead them, who would guide them, who would speak God's word to them. And Jesus is that word of God, the word of God incarnate. We might look at a figure like Moses or we might look at our own Savior's vo- vocation, if you want to call that, and we might say, well, how does that speak to me? What it, Moses was some great character. He's a one, in, one in a millennia. And yet by our baptism, we too have been called out of the waters. Each time we are, a child enters through baptism, it is one who receives in a certain name the name Moses, drawn out of water. We receive the name of Christ as Christian when we are anointed with that holy oil in baptism and in our confirmation. And so we too have a vocation. We are called, all of us, to holiness. How often we fall short of this calling. How often we do not live up to it. And yet it doesn't diminish, it doesn't go away. That vocation is still there. There is not one single person in this church who is not called to holiness. Paul further specifies a type of vocation in that second letter to the Corinthians. He's talking about his own vocation of celibacy to be dedicated completely to the gospel. He's also speaking from his observation of the other apostles and the other disciples who have dedicated themselves fully to the expansion of the church. And Paul says, I know that this isn't for everyone. But he says, I should like you to be free of anxieties. An unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But a married man is anxious about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and he is divine. He goes on and says the same about women. Now, that may seem odd at first coming from St. Paul. Remember, St. Paul is the Apostle who says that he has an anxiety for the churches. That he is like a mother even, waiting for Christ to be born in them. So how can Paul say that he would like people to be free from anxieties, or the anxieties of this world, when Paul seems to have lots of anxieties for the early church? He's after after all, too, the apostle who suffers the most for the gospel. He's saying that there's a certain kind of anxiety that comes from being immersed in the world, that comes from a certain weightiness of spirit that comes from having to deal with the things of this world that he would like people to be freed from. I'm telling you this, he says, for your own benefit, not to impose a a restraint upon you, but for the sake of propriety, an adherence to the Lord without distraction. So I'd like to say to some of our young people who have not yet fully discovered their vocation, if the Lord is calling you to a religious vocation, if the Lord is calling you to the priesthood to be a sister or a religious brother, the Lord is calling you to something that will free you from many of the anxieties of this life. Not that there won't be a proper anxiety for those who come to you, those who seek your help. Not that there won't be trials in this life, but that the Lord, if He is calling you to a religious vocation, is calling you to a great freedom. Well, Father, what about of us who are already married? What about us who do have to be in the world and do have the anxieties of life? Jesus is still calling you to holiness and is calling you as a family like the holy family of Nazareth to detach yourselves. There are many things that we take on that really aren't for our own happiness. They seem fun, they seem exciting, they seem like they will be good things, but often they aren't discerned before God. Is this something God really wants for us? And they become burdens. God wants us all to be free. He wants us to have a holy anxiousness for His things, ultimately for our salvation and for the salvation of our family members and of our neighbors and of the whole world. While we are in this life, we will never be completely free of anxieties. But it's do we choose the ones that lead to life Or do we choose the ones that lead to stagnation and death? Let us choose freedom, for as St. Paul reminds us, for freedom, Christ has set us free.